0: Let's talk today about the revolutionary message of the Gospel that Jesus came to bring. Paul writes to the Christians in the city of Rome, and Rome was the political center of power in the vast Roman Empire. He writes in chapter 1 of Romans, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and then also to the Greeks. The message version of the same verse, Romans 1.16, it's news I'm most proud to proclaim, this extraordinary message of God's powerful plan to rescue everyone who trusts him, starting with Jews and then right on down to everyone else. A third version, the Passion Translation, reads, I refuse to be ashamed of sharing the wonderful message of God's liberating power unleashed in us through Christ. For I'm thrilled to preach that everyone who believes is saved, the Jew first, and then the people everywhere. This verse is just about as famous and powerful as John 3.16. For this is the way God loved the world. He gave His own one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. So as I read and reflected on Romans 1.16 this past week, because I really felt the Holy Spirit speak to me to do just that, to focus on just this one verse. I had so many thoughts and so many feelings. I had some new insights into the verse. I realized that at times I neglect the gospel and don't share it, and maybe that, that means I am ashamed of it. And I came to a deeper and revolutionary understanding of the gospel of the kingdom. So there's so much I would like to share, but let's start with the basics. John the Baptist prepared the way for the ministry of Jesus. In Matthew 3, verse 1, it reads, In those days John the Baptist came into the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven in the Gospels is the same as the kingdom of God. They use those two phrases interchangeably. Jesus came preaching and healing. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of disease and sickness among the people. And then Jesus told us later in his ministry that this gospel of the kingdom would need to reach every corner of the world. Matthew 24, verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole inhabited earth as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Please note, it's the gospel of the kingdom that's very important to take note of. Well, the basic gospel of the kingdom is fairly simple. There's one called the Roman's Road, which allows you to use three verses in three different chapters of Romans and actually teach, share the gospel with somebody. So let's look at the basic gospel of the kingdom from the book of Romans. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 states that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, everyone has lived according to the, the flesh, according to their own opinions and desires, their own ways, um, and everyone has therefore fallen short or failed to fulfill the plan and the purpose of God for their life. Romans 6:23. the beginning of the verse says, For the payoff of sin, the wages of sin, is death, death being spiritual separation from God. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then you go back to Romans verse chapter 6, verse 23, and the second half of the verse says, The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And eternal life isn't to live forever. Everybody lives forever. So why would God give you a gift that you already have as a human being? All human beings, every life conceived, lives forever. Your choices are heaven or hell, smoking or non-smoking. So the gift of God, that is eternal life, is defined for us in John 17, verse 3. This is eternal life, that you may know God the Father and Jesus Christ whom he sent. And the word know there means to have intimacy with, like Joseph did not know Mary until Jesus was born. So if you share this message... Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 5.8, and again Romans 6.23. If you share the Romans wrote gospel message, the message of the gospel of the kingdom with someone, and then pray the sinner's prayer, which, by the way, is not a biblical prayer, and tell them that they are born again or saved, you will have lied and deceived them. You see, this information is just that. It's simply information. And that they might believe the information because you shared it clearly, you said it accurately, it spoke to them, but it's still just that, information in the head that has not touched the heart. And James chapter 2 verse 19 says, You believe that God is one, well and good, but even the demons believe that and they tremble with fear. And of course they're not going to heaven. So you haven't done the whole job yet. We would call this the gospel of salvation, which is an incomplete gospel, and so not the gospel at all. There is so much more to the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom shares the basic true information that the book of Romans and other books set out for us, but it goes much further. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 to 10. For though, Paul writes, for though I cause you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though for a while I did regret it, for I see that the letter caused you some sorrow, though only for a while. I now rejoice, however, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow, or godly sorrow, that is according to the will of God, produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world, sorry that you got caught, sorry that you're suffering the consequences, sorry that your reputation is being ruined, the sorrow of the world produces death. So Paul is saying that there is this ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life that brings godly sorrow, conviction, godly sorrow and then repentance and without repentance there is no salvation so you can have the gospel, all the information it's in your head but unless you have repented from your heart you're not saved so after you share the information of the gospel with someone you need to wait and watch and see what the Holy Spirit is doing And if he moves in their heart regarding their current standing as an enemy of God, that's what Romans, the book of Romans says they are, then you will see conviction of sin. John 16 verses 8 to 11 says, When the Holy Spirit comes, Jesus speaking, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Their sin, his righteousness, and the coming judgment. After conviction of sin, you will see a response that the Bible calls in Second Corinthians chapter seven, godly sorrow, not worldly sorrow, which will lead them to repentance, which is a true decision to turn from their old ways and embrace Jesus way. And then you pray from the heart to receive forgiveness. This is the true gospel, in reality, the only gospel, the gospel of the kingdom. It is this powerful gospel that must be preached, taught, shared, prayed about. On the first day of the church, Peter preached his first sermon, and he shared the basic gospel of the kingdom message. And as he preached and shared the gospel, the Spirit of God began to move in the hearts and the lives of those who were listening. Acts chapter 2, verses 37 and 38. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, that's the conviction, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to him, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They were convicted. They expressed godly sorrow. And then Peter tells them that they need to repent. Not repeat a sinner's prayer after somebody, but repent. Ask for forgiveness and receive it. The gospel of the kingdom. This gospel is so powerful that it is totally life-changing. It changes your values. It alters your morals. It gives you a totally new perspective on life, a kingdom perspective. It removes spiritual darkness and takes you, moves you, transfers you into the kingdom of light. It frees your heart from sin so that you can worship God. It gives you a new purpose for living. It allows you to grab hold of God's plan for your life and thus live with a sense of destiny. It allows you to experience true peace and happiness. You can walk with Jesus as your best friend. You can know the heart of God the Father towards you, towards his church. You can share real fellowship with other believers, new friends that you have in Christ. And the list can go on and on. This gospel of the kingdom takes you from the kingdom or the domain of darkness and transfers you into the kingdom of God. That is powerful. That's what Paul is saying. And in Colossians chapter 1, Paul writes in verse 13, God delivered us from the power of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the Son he loves. You know, beam me up, Scotty. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1 that each of us, when we receive and believe the gospel of the kingdom, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing, verse 3, chosen, verse 4, Made holy and blameless, verse 4. Adopted as God's children, verse 5. Received his grace, verse 6. Redeemed or purchased back from the devil, verse 7. Totally forgiven, verse 7. We received wisdom, verse 8. We have new spiritual insights, again, verse 8. We know his will for us and for the world, verse 9. We have a future inheritance, verse 11. We live with hope, in hope. Verse 12, we know the truth. Verse 13, and we are sealed and protected by the Holy Spirit. Again, verse 13. This powerful gospel of the kingdom, the true and the only real gospel. Wow! More than bowing your head and repeating a prayer that someone else prays and you powerfully pray after them, much more powerful than that. So powerful that it blows the hell right out of you. Beliefs are changed, bodies are healed, priorities are adjusted, demons are cast out, sinful lives are forgiven, relationships are restored, eternities are altered. This is a very practical, radical, revolutionary gospel. It's the gospel of the kingdom. So Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, love these verses, Chapter two of first Corinthians verses one to five. When I came to you brothers and sisters, I did not come with superior eloquence or wisdom as I proclaimed the testimony of God. For I decided to be concerned about nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. My conversation and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of how the spirit and a power so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on the power of God. Listen, we have a gospel. It's the gospel of the kingdom, not the gospel of salvation. It's more than about taking you from here into heaven when you die. It's about you becoming a warrior in the army of God so that you can help to expand the kingdom of God. It's all about what's happening here and now, not just fire insurance so that you know you're not going to hell when you die. There's a kingdom that is being established and we are part of that kingdom because we believe the gospel of the kingdom and now we need to be soldiers of that kingdom because our 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 citizenship is not here in Canada or whatever nation you're listening to this this in, our citizenship is in heaven. So Jesus came to establish a kingdom, God's kingdom upon the earth, more than getting people saved. If you just go through Matthew's gospel, we'll just do it briefly and quickly, just some verses I chose, Jesus was born king of the kingdom Matthew 2 verse 2 John the Baptist prepared people for the kingdom chapter 3 verse 1 Jesus preached the kingdom was here and now Matthew chapter 4 verse 17 Jesus spoke of the kingdom lifestyle that's the beatitudes Matthew chapter 5 to 7 Jesus taught us to pray about the kingdom you know thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth Matthew 6, verse 10, we are to seek first the kingdom, chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus told us who would enter the kingdom, Matthew 7, 21, Jesus told us to tell others about the kingdom and that it was here and now, Matthew 10, verse 7, only the aggressive will enter the kingdom, the passive will not, Matthew 11, verse 12, the kingdom of God is like And there are 10 different parables, or more than 10, actually, in Matthew 13 and onwards, that you need to be like little children to enter the kingdom, Matthew 18, verses 3 and 4. Oh, the list could go on. Within Matthew's gospel, and of course, in every New Testament book, it's all about the kingdom. Jesus did not come just to save us so we could go to heaven when we die. Jesus did not save us so we could go up and away in the rapture when Jesus returns. Jesus came to establish his kingdom upon the earth. He was born king, and when we are born again, we are recruited to continue the work of expanding the kingdom. We become laborers in the kingdom because the harvest is ready and ripe. John chapter 4, verse 35. The gospel of salvation stresses the need to be saved, born again, so you can go to heaven when you die. The gospel of the kingdom invites you to help Jesus spread the gospel here and now upon the earth and does not stress the afterlife. Yes, you go to heaven, but just as important, we are left here on the earth after we are born again because we have kingdom work to do here and now. And this means that the kingdom is our focus and not life after death. In other words, Matthew six thirty-three: seek first the kingdom. So we're to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, person to person, nation to nation, until Jesus returns or until we die. The gospel is a dangerous message. It's contrary to all other worldly governments and kingdoms. It's radical, it's revolutionary, it's dangerous, It could be called extreme, it's violent, it's drastic, it's unprecedented, it's unorthodox, it's anti-religious. And until you realize that, a lot of the things that Paul writes in his letters in the New Testament don't really have the impact they should have. It's fascinating to read the epistles of Paul with an eye to seeing his intense focus on the gospel of the kingdom. The book of 1 Thessalonians is a classic example. In Acts 17, Luke rehearses the story of how the church in Thessalonica was born. Paul was banished from the city because he was preaching a radical gospel of the kingdom. He was preaching about a rival king, a different kingdom than the Roman Empire. So in Acts 17, 7, it says, They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, named Jesus, and, of course, by implication, another kingdom other than the Roman Empire. In essence, Paul was proclaiming that Jesus was the true king, the real emperor, and the authentic savior, and Caesar was not. He, Silas, and those who followed them were defying the loyalty oath given to Caesar, and such acts of disloyalty were to be reported, and the violators hunted down and usually murdered, killed, put to death. The claim that there was another king was outrageous and seditious, and if Paul were caught by the authorities, which he wasn't since he escaped the city in time, the penalty was death. So it's not surprising then that Paul's first and second letters to the Thessalonians are peppered with imperial language, all demonstrating that the Roman Empire and its emperor are counterfeits. So quickly, here are some of those examples. The word gospel or good news, that was the word used for Caesar's message to the empire. Paul adapted it into the message of Jesus to the kingdom. Salvation. The Roman Empire bragged about bringing salvation to all of its citizens. Paul took that word and used it in a totally different sense. Savior. Every Caesar since Augustus carried this title, as well as the title, Deliverer. And Paul gives that title to Jesus. Son of God. Augustus was regarded to be God's son. All Caesars were regarded to be divine. The word Lord, another common title for Caesar. Paul declares that Jesus is the actual reigning Lord. Grace. The inhabitants of the Roman Empire were granted grace, another word for it would be favor, by their beloved benefactor, Caesar. The coming of the Lord. When Paul speaks about the coming of Jesus, he uses the word parousia. This term and the word, and the other term, adventus, in Latin, were used for the arrival of Caesar when he visited a place. Meet the Lord in the air. The word translated meet was reserved for the civic welcome of a king or Caesar, anyone who was a dignitary. The people in a given city would go out to meet the dignitary and escort him into the city. And the term for that was meet the Lord in the air. The brightness of his coming. The word translated brightness or splendor is where we get the term epiphany and manifest. Caesar was honored as the God of Manifest. Peace and security. This was Rome's slogan, shorthand for the Pax Romana. But Paul declares that Rome promises a false security, a false peace, and it will be followed by destruction. Only Jesus, the true Lord of the world, brings peace and security. So in this regard, Jesus trumps Caesar, no pun intended, on his own chessboard. There's more, but understanding the gospel of the kingdom sheds fresh light on Paul's writings and shows you how much it's in your face to the Roman Empire, in your face to the king of the Roman Empire, the Caesar. By understanding the gospel of the kingdom, it sheds fresh light on much of Paul's writings as well as the rest of the New Testament. Throughout his epistles, Paul regularly transfers the honorific titles and conventions for Caesar to Jesus. So if we wanted to say, what does that mean for us today? We wanted to contextualize it. Whenever people put their trust in and give their loyalty to a particular country, nationalism, a corporate world government, a political party, a certain politician, or a social philosophy, capitalism, socialism, communism, or a specific cause, you know, like the trucker's convoy, they are out of step with the gospel of the kingdom in spite of what they might say and believe. For those who call themselves believers and disciples or followers of Jesus, the gospel of the kingdom should be front and center at all times and in all places. Because we have a revolutionary message, a radical message, to share with the world. One that totally flies in the face of all other ways of life, philosophies, religions, and current forms of government. So let's go back to Paul's verse, Romans 1, verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, of course, and then also to the Greeks. The message version, it's news I'm most proud to proclaim, this extraordinary message of God's powerful plan to rescue everyone who trusts him, sharing with Jews and then right on to everyone else. Or the Passion Translation, I refuse to be ashamed of sharing the wonderful message of God's liberating power unleashed in us through Christ. For I'm thrilled to preach that everyone who believes is saved the Jew first and then people everywhere. Paul is very clear about seven things. Number one, he is not ashamed of the gospel. Number two, the gospel is the power of God. Number three, the gospel brings salvation for people and for creation when Jesus returns. Number four, this is for everyone who believes and receives. Number five, The gospel is for all people everywhere. No one is outside the power of the gospel to change lives and destinies. Number six, the gospel is establishing an alternative way of life. And number seven, there is a new and powerful kingdom that is expanding throughout the world wherever and whenever someone proclaims the good news, the gospel of that kingdom. And we need to remind ourselves that we are the ones called to share the gospel of the kingdom with those we know and meet as we go about our daily lives, and that the king is there with us when we do. So let me close reading to you the church's mandate, the only job Jesus gave the church. Jesus came, according to Luke 19.10, to seek and save the lost. That was his job. And when he was leaving, he said to his disciples, Here, let me give you my job. You go and complete that which I have started. It sounds a little different in Matthew 28. We're going to read verses 19 to 20. So go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. And if you do that, I'll be with you as you do this, day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. The Amplified Version reads this way. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations. Help the people to learn of me, believe in me, and obey my words, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, remaining with you perpetually, regardless of circumstances, and on every occasion, even to the end of the age. It is our job, Our task as the church, as believers, as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, as followers of the King, it is our job, our task, our mandate to go into all the world and win the lost, to make disciples, to expand the kingdom. And we do that by preaching the gospel of the kingdom because it is powerful, radical, and revolutionary.